Good morning. It's good to see you in first word this morning. We are going to start a new series for the next few weeks, and we are going to be in the book of Colossians. Um, I'm going to preference this morning. This has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about. But if I seem a little jittery this morning, if I seem a little nervous, I am okay. I love history. I love reading about history. And I know Louis L'Amour. For those of you that don't know who Louis L'Amour is, he's the greatest Western novel writer that ever lived. I know some of you don't care about that. But I read a couple of those books this week, and I found a recipe for old-fashioned cowboy coffee. For those of you that don't know what that is, you just get a pot, you pour the grounds directly in the pot, and you boil that stuff off, put just a little cold water in there to help those grounds settle, and then you drink it straight. So if I seem a little jittery, I started early this morning, and I'm about two pots in. So my insides kind of feel like they're doing this right here. So if I get to talking a little fast, if I seem a little nervous, I'm okay. Just had a little bit of caffeine. In part one of our series on Colossians, and I told you that has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about this morning. But part one of our series of Colossians, we're just, just for a title kind of direction, we're going to talk about all in him. And I want to start this morning by just giving you a little bit of history on the church of Colossae, which is the church that the book of Colossians is written to. Colossae was one of three cities located in about a hundred mile, located rather about a hundred miles inland from Ephesus. Um, There are two other areas that are right there, close neighboring cities. One was Heropolis and the other one was Laodicea. This was a, by the time that we're reading here that Paul is writing, um, Colossae was a very wealthy cosmopolitan area. And there were all kinds of religious philosophies that were found there. Much like today, we live in a country that, that uh, is very modernized for the times. A lot of us, we live, you can call, I know it's rural Arkansas, but we live in a cosmopolitan area, if you will, in the standpoint that we have colleges here, we have ideas here. You are, you know, we live in the good old U.S. of A. You can be a free thinker. You can, you can march to the beat of your own drummer, if you will. And so, in some respects, we're much like Clossy. Um, we have uh, all kinds of ideas that float around and make up our society. There are different religions found within the borders of this great nation. There are different ideologies and philosophies that are represented here. And as I said, Colossae was a cosmopolitan area. It had all kinds of religions. All kinds of philosophies were represented there. Um, It had a large Jewish colony that was there. And so it was a very fertile um, ground for all kinds of ideas and philosophies and doctrines. I find it interesting, however, that Colossae would never have been mentioned in Scripture if it wasn't for the apostolic church that was found there. Paul doesn't travel to Colossae. 
he doesn't go and start the work that forms Colossi or the Colossian church. It was founded by disciples that, that found truth when Paul was at Ephesus and they went back and they began to build a church and they built a mighty apostolic church in their day and time. And I want to stop right here and say this. If they could go back when Rome was ruling, we think that there are all kinds of things happening in our world and our society today. Go back and see what Rome introduced to their cities. Everything was wide open. The sin and the things that we fight in our culture were rampant in that day, perhaps even on a broader scale if that's imaginable than where we are now. Yet there was a thriving apostolic church there. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to submit to you today, if there could be a thriving church that could be mentioned by the apostle, how much the more in today's age should there be apostolic churches in our cities that are thriving and that are, that are getting the attention of heaven because somebody's doing the work. Paul will write a letter to the church, but Paul will never visit there. He will never fill a pulpit there. But we find in verse uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 4, and then again in Colossians 1 and verse 9, where Paul says that he has heard of their faith. He had heard about them. He had heard about the work. The work was doing phenomenal. It was growing. It was moving. They were experiencing revival. It says in Acts chapter 9 in verses, verses 1 through 7, the church was born, I said, when Paul made his trip to Ephesus and And we're going to reference that in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. It says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto them, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Under what were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And it says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, they received the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spake with tongues and they prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. Paul goes into Ephesus and he finds 12 good men. 12 men who have had an experience and that are trying their best to find God. And he asked them this question. He said, unto what were you baptized? I see that you're good men. I see that you have had an initial experience. I want to ask a question. I know there's something different about you because your spirit connects to my spirit. I want to know how were you baptized? That this morning really got me as I was studying and reading that. Under what were you baptized? Paul did not look at them and say, hey, let me tell you I've got this all figured out. I can give you a road map. You've been doing this all wrong. You have no idea. No, Paul didn't do that. 
He built upon an experience and a foundation that was already laid. He said, I know you have had an experience. I know that you have had an encounter with God. I want to know, do you know him in this fashion? Ladies and gentlemen, I want to submit to you today. There was a church that grew and flourished But it was built on 12 men, and their introduction to the gospel was in this manner. I know you're great people. I know you've had an experience, but would you like to know a little bit more? I wonder what would happen if I would view my world. You you ever notice there's no sinners anymore? Everybody's saved. Everybody has had an experience. I want to grow an apostolic church. I'm not going to demean somebody's experience. I'm not going to beat up what they have. My question is, have you been baptized in the name of Jesus yet? Have you gone a little bit further? Can I, can I reach to you and introduce you to something that's a little bit different perhaps than what you've heard, but it's backed up in Scripture They said we were baptized under John's ministry. And he said, and I'm jumping off on a tangent here. I'll get back in just a minute. But this struck me. He said, they, they said we're baptized under John's ministry. And he said, well, John baptized um, in repentance. The, 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 the remission of sins. He, he baptized in repentance. When you look at what John had, had, what they had experienced, it says that they had believed. They had felt sorry. They had accepted. They had been baptized. They had, they had tried to turn away from their sins, and they were trying to move forward. But they had not had the name applied. We live in a world, and I'm not bashing anybody. Please hear me. I'm not here to bash anybody. But we live in a world that says accept, believe, and move forward. And baptism is a part of joining the church, the local body. It was done as an example. I'm not bashing that. But according to my Bible in Acts 4, the remission of sins. There's a difference between repentance and remission. Repentance is I'm sorry for what I've done. I feel bad about the life I've lived. I'm going to turn away God. I see that I've been going a different way. But remission of sins comes when the name has been applied because the name removes sin. What Paul was asking these these men who were going to found this great church, he said, I want to know something. Have your sins been completely remitted? And their answer was, well, we have saw him, we've repented, we've accepted, and we're trying to move forward. And Paul said, that's awesome. Let's get the name applied so we can get the sins completely remitted and removed. And then he laid his hands on them, and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. What I want to see happen in my world is for every church... In a hundred mile radius, began to see sins remitted. And that comes by the name. 
Going down to Acts 19 and 10, it says, And they continued by the space of two years, so that they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. These 12 men took their experience that they had had from Paul, and they went back to their cities, and they began to witness, and they began to reach, and they began to draw. And the Bible says that, that, that all that area within two years had heard the word. Epaphras, one of Paul's converts in Ephesus, he returned home to start the church in Colossae. Sorry, my little earbud popped out there. Let me put it back in there. I've been tangled up, tied up, and all kinds of stuff. The other Sunday, if you saw me kind of doing this, I was twisted up, and I didn't want to be pulling, so stuff kind of flies out every now and then. Sorry. But Epaphras, one of Paul's converts in Ephesus, he returns home, and he starts the church in Colossae. And he also ministered in Heropolis and Laodicea. And as the church began to grow, there was some things that began to come in and it began to threaten this, this mighty work that these people were creating and, and, and being used of God. And, and Epaphras goes to Paul when he's in Rome. And Paul writes a letter that is taken back to the church that makes up your Bible called the book of Colossians. There were a lot of things in that society that began to try to move in. And it began to try to pollute what was being preached. And that was what Paul began to try to address. You see, there were several things. I told you there was all kinds of religions, but uh, there was a blended message that was starting to be preached in to the church in Colossians. It was part Christianity. It was part Jewish legalism. It was part Eastern philosophy, and it was part Gnosticism. I think I said that word right. I don't really know if I did or not. But what was starting to happen is new converts were beginning to come in, and they were beginning to take this, and they were beginning to water down their, the doctrine of truth with all these other things. And really what it boils down to is... They began to accept the idea that Christ had prominence in their life, but he did not have preeminence in their life. The difference, prominence, well, it's important. Something that has importance, but preeminence means that it takes top priority above everything else. We live in a day and an age where if we're not careful, living for God takes some prominence, but it does not take preeminence. And for you to have a life that is blessed and for you to live the life that God wants you to have, He cannot be just something that may be important in your life. He must be the most all-important thing in your life. They were living in a fast-paced world. They were living in a world where things were, were busy and they were, they were bustling and they were hustling and they were involved in many, many things. And if, we're, if, if they were not careful, they were beginning to, 
to, to, to prioritize things differently. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the day and age that we live in. We live in a day where we are, are busier than we've ever been. We have more things on our plate than we've ever had. And we're running at a faster pace than we have ever run as a society. And it is easy in this environment, in the church, for God to just become some prominent figure in my home instead of, the pre, of having preeminence in my home. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. That means everything in my life must revolve around Him. Not just, well, you know, the the, the oneness of God, which Brother Brett so eloquently taught. It's not just that. It's all in Him. My life is all in Him. My family is all in Him. My job, the success that I have, the things that I do in life are found all in Him. He takes preeminence over everything in my life. And when I put that hierarchy in place in my life, I'm going to have blessing after blessing after blessing. He begins to tell them of God being everything. In Colossians 2 and verse 3, It says, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We live in a society that pushes higher education. Nothing wrong with that. But you need to understand something. He needs to reign first. Because I'm not going to get any higher knowledge than what God can give. I have to get everything in alignment in my life. And I promise you, when you start getting everything in alignment, you cannot help but be blessed in your life. In the garden, Adam and Eve were created to be the representation of God on the earth. He was here. They were here. If I'm going to see the blessings of God in my life, in my church, in my home, in everything, He's here, and everything else falls into place right here. And I will say this, it was God and it was family. If, you're, if it's God in your world and it's your career here and your family down here, you've got things off and you need to reevaluate where you're at. If you're going to be, if you're going to ha- have the blessings of God, it's God, family, everything else falls after that. Colossians two verses nine and ten says this: For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. As was said earlier, the Godhead was in Him. Everything you found in Him, He came to redeem us. He came to purchase us back. He came to, to, to save us. And that required a sacrifice. So God stepped down and robed himself in flesh and came and lived without sin and died so that he could purchase my freedom from sin.
Colossians 1, 16 through 19 says, For by him were all things created that are in the heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All these were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in all things, he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. It's a very powerful scripture, and when you begin to look at it and break it down, he created all things. He made all things. Everything that's in the heaven, everything that's in the earth. What has dominion and power, he created. Anybody know what carried dominion and power on the earth? It was man. Man was created in the image of God, and he was given dominion and authority and power. You're to walk in dominion, authority, and power, man, because you're created in the image of God. But I'm going to go a step further because in Genesis it says he created them in his own image, male and female. What was the woman's role? She was to show the beauty and the majesty and the glory and the holiness of God. They complemented one another. When God got ready to redeem mankind, he came in dominion and authority and power. And just as the law was established and when mankind fell, it separated God from man. God didn't rewrite the law. But he came in the form of his creation to fulfill the law. Because it's impossible for God to lie. And so what God said was the law when, when man fell and, and he went astray from the law and sin entered into the garden and sin entered into the world. All of a sudden, God has to come in and he's got to redeem mankind, but he's bound by his word. So he comes in the form of what he created to represent dominion and authority and power on the earth. That's the man, Christ Jesus, and he comes and he dies to purchase us. Little side note, what is the church likened unto? The bride. What God created in Genesis and set in order, he fulfilled the same plan when he got ready to purchase and redeem his church. And one day he's coming back in dominion, authority, and power to bring back in was supposed to represent his holiness and his glory on the earth. And when it comes together, it's going to be in heaven what was created in the first garden. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, it's imperative that he's first and I'm holy in everything I do. I live to please him because I want the church to be what it's supposed to be. And that's what Paul was writing to the church in Colossians. He was telling them, hey, listen, you've done some great things. 
things are growing. But I see where they're starting to be in a mindset that's coming in. And I want to head that off. And I want you to understand that everything that you're needing in life is me. Everything that you need in your home, it's me. It's all in me. And when you get me right, the church is going to get right. Have I lost you? Are you with me? He came, robed in flesh, became man. There weren't two separate deities or three. It was a God that had created something to represent himself on the earth that he loved. That was man and a woman. And he loved them so much when they messed up, when they fell, when things weren't going right, when things weren't what they needed to be. That this spirit who had no form said, I'm going to put on flesh and I'm going to become like them. And I'm not going to pollute the process. But I'm going to come exactly as I set it up. Dad, you're going to lead that home in dominion. You've been given dominion on the earth. The wife is the, represents the beauty, the things that are great, the things that are appealing. But he said, I can't come in beauty and I can't come in glory. I've got to come in dominion and power. And I'm going to get that by coming in the form of a man. Now I'm going to walk among them. And I'm going I'm to see their hurts and I'm going to experience what they experience. And then I'm going to go to Calvary and I'm going to die to purchase them so that I can have fellowship and communion with them and they can step into a place where we commune and we fellowship again. It's all in him. I wonder what would happen in our marriages if we took the mindset it's all in him. I'm going to put you where you need to be, God. And you said, husbands, love your wife like Christ loves the church. I'm going I'm to begin to demonstrate a love toward you that I've never demonstrated before. We're fixing to get some things right in our home. We're fixing to get some things right in our home. I don't read where Adam and Eve were fighting all the time. I don't read where Adam and Eve were at odds all the time. He would come every day and he would commune and he would fellowship with them. And they in turn reciprocated that kind of a relationship toward one another. What would happen if our home started to become a mirror of him? What would happen if on our jobs I started trying my best to put him in everything? See, we're apostolic in doctrine. We believe it's all in him. The fullness of the Godhead, which we just talked about, is all in him. 
But I want to I take it a step further. What if in every area of your life, he was in it? When I'm at school, it's all in him. When they see me, they're going to see him. When that becomes our mindset, all of a sudden the church begins to grow. He was telling them, hey, guys, I want you to understand something. I don't want you to get sidetracked in a crazy world and in a fast-paced world and in a world where everything is going haywire. I want you to understand it's still all in me. I'm still what you need for your home. I'm still what you need on your job. I'm still what you need in your finances. I'm still what you need in your social activities of your life. I am in every part. And when you put me there where I belong, the church is going to grow. John G. Patton was translating the Bible or a group of islands, some islanders that he was ministering to, and he began to try to find a word that he could translate that meant believe. A good word that would describe belief. And he finally discovered a word in the Gaelic language, and the meaning of that word believe that he came up with means lean your whole weight upon To put your whole weight upon it. Now, I know I'm a real skinny guy. It's okay. I didn't mean that literally. All right? I look in the mirror. I see this face. I say, yeah, I got it. Brother Price, there are some things that I just don't trust all my weight on. I have had, you behave, I have had an instance or two where I put a little too much weight on something. I leaned a little too hard and it fell apart. I may or may not, Mark, have been sitting in a ground blind deer hunting and had the camp chair that I was sitting on collapse around me. I leaned on it just a little too hard. If we're not careful, we say, I believe in everything that the Word says, but I don't want to put all my weight on it. I don't want to put all of my belief in this because I'm a fixer, and I still want the out where I can go fix things when they get out of hand. But if I'm going to follow Him, I'm going to have to lean on Him in everything. I'm going to have to trust Him with the full weight of what I carry in my home, on my job, and in my life. Dads, that's you. Because dads are fixers. Men are fixers. 
They're the provider of the home. They want to take the, the, the strain off mama and the kids. And so you internalize everything and you fix everything. And the idea of you leaning on something with the full weight of what you carry is terrifying because I want to be able to fix it. And I can't trust my whole world. I can't trust all my kids and, and all my finances and all the pressures that I have. Yes, I believe in you, but I, I don't know that I can put the full weight of what I carry on me on this because if it breaks then I'm going to fall and I'm not going to just crash, but my family's going to crash and my world's going to crash and my finances are going to crash. So I've got to have me an exit strategy where I can step out and I can fix it myself. Oh, no, 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 no. It's all in him. I'm going to have to trust him enough to lean on him for everything because there's some things I can't fix. There's some things, no matter how good of a provider that I am, I can't provide everything. Believing means I trust him enough to lay it all on him and to lean and to trust him that he's going to guide me and he's going to direct me. How am I going to lean on him? How am I going to, how am I going to trust him? It's through prayer and being full of his spirit. Hear me. The Holy Ghost is not just to get you to glory. I know we like the scripture, Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you get filled with the, with the Holy Ghost, you're filled with the Spirit of God. And all of a sudden, it's Christ in me. That's the, that's the hope that I'm getting out of here. I'm going to heaven. Hang on. I've got to be full of Him. So that everything in my world isn't handled by my flesh. I can't trust my flesh. I told you, the, 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 the big hang, I don't want to lean on him. Why? Because I'm flesh. And in my fleshly sense, I know I can't put all that weight on this or that. You can him. You've got to be so full of him that this stuff dies. That's what prayer is about. That's what fasting is about. It's about killing flesh. It's about dying out so that this stuff doesn't control me in my every move. Colossians 1 and 9, that you be filled. That word filled in that passage of Scripture right there literally means to be controlled by. I need to be controlled by the Spirit. I need to have the Spirit of God checking my conscience and moving and, and, and being allowed to, to move and draw. I like Diet Coke, okay? Those of you that have been around first word, my crowning moment teaching was when I had three Diet Coke bottles in here. I had one that was nasty and it was full of all kinds of trash and the label was tore off of it. That represented how we are when we come to God. We're dirty. We're nasty. There's not a lot in us. When you're baptized and everything's cleaned up, I had a, I had a bottle, an empty bottle of Diet Coke with the label on it. Once the name has been applied to your life, the vessel's clean. Sins are remitted. We talked about that a while ago. But if you're thirsty for Diet Coke, that empty bottle ain't going to cut it. you got to have the substance that's in the bottle, the right substance that's in the bottle. But there's something about when you fill that bottle up, something happens. As you begin to fill that bottle up, when they're, when they're packaging in the plant, as they begin to fill that bottle, it begins to push the air out of that bottle. 
And when they get to the threshold where the air is pushed out. Now, they're going to leave a little bit of air in there because they don't want you to get a flat Diet Coke. And I thank God that they do that. But have you ever taken your kid to Chicken Express when they were little and you accidentally gave them a Coke to fill up? And they walk over there to the, they put just a little bit of ice. And then they walk over there and they set it underneath the Coke. But I know it's not good parenting, okay? Don't judge me. And they push the button. <laughs> How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. That's a great day. And the bottles, and the cup's filling up a little more and a little bit more and a little bit more in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was great. I had a great time today. It was wonderful. I had a great day. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it reaches the top, the threshold, and it begins to spill over. And you're ready to wring their little neck, and you want to go, dude, how dumb can you be? Stop! Pay attention! I know all you beautiful, wonderful parents don't talk to your kids like that. It's okay. What happened? The liquid began to feel, and it began to push the air out. And it began to take the little bit of ice that they used because they, didn't, they weren't interested in the ice. They were interested in putting the, the drink in. That was cool. The ice started floating up to the top. And as they began to hold the thing down and they're talking and just the ice starts going over the side. Why? Because that Diet Coke is starting to push everything out. I need to be so full of him. That it begins to push everything that's not pure, everything that's not right, everything that's not good. It begins to push it out. Until I'm left with nothing but him. Didn't come to beat you up this morning. I've not come to make you feel bad. To challenge, to, 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 to come at you as an opposing force of of. of Hurt, if you will. I want to see you grow in God. I want to see you go, and that's everybody in this room. I want to see you go in places in your relationship with God that you have only dreamed about. The things that you don't tell everybody because you suffer with the guilt and the shame and that, well, I've made mistakes and I messed up and this is me. And, and I want to be a good husband and a good dad, but I just can't fully lay it all down. I want to see you get beyond that. And you thrive. Because when you're thriving, the church is thriving. The church is more than these four walls. You are the church. And when he becomes everything, and you get it right in how you live in the hierarchy that you set in your home, the church is going to be right. My attitude's going to be right. Things are going to flow like they need to flow. Would you stand with me this morning? Oh, Lord, I love you, and I thank you for your goodness and mercy. I'm asking God that you would be with us today, that you would help what we've heard just take root in our spirit and our heart. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for this wonderful people. I pray you would go with us and guide us. Everybody said amen. We're going to take about a 10-minute break. You can Greet somebody, get something to drink, shake hands, and then we're going to kick off our main service. So glad to have you in service with us today. Thank you for taking time out to be with us today.